you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the letter of 1 Peter, chapter 4. If you are using the Chairback Bible, it's page 1016 in the Chairback Bible. The title of the message this morning is Living with a Purpose, and we'll be looking in verses 1 through 11 of chapter before. But before I begin, let me, let me just say uh, one other thing that I'm thankful for. Uh, during the Christmas holidays, there were a few in, the, in our church who uh, pooled money and gave me a gift, and they gave me the gift of a, a new Bible um, to preach from. And so I have struggled for some time as to, uh, to whether or not to stay with the New American Standard, as many of you know that I've preached from since I've, since I've been here, or to transfer over to the ESV, which is the, the translation that we have in our chairbacks. Uh, and so I have, uh, after... After considering it and praying through it and, and just kind of looking at, the, uh, looking at the different translations, they're very similar. It, it just made sense that I would trans, transition to the ESV, and um, it's a great translation of Scripture. And so if you've gone out and purchased New American Standards since I've been here, I want to say that I'm sorry. I hope that you still have your ESV. And so... If you're following along in the New American Standard today, then uh, forgive me for not letting you know ahead of time. Uh, but I'll be preaching from the ESV from now on. Uh, and so, anyway, enough said. Uh, <clears throat> let me begin by praying for us. Let us pray. Father, as we come this morning, it's our great desire to hear a word from you. Lord, we... As your people, we confess that we need you as we've sung. We need to hear your word as it applies to our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit's power and presence, that you would take your word and that you would apply it into our lives. God, that you would you would convict us and and challenge us and affirm us and exhort us toward Christ centered living. Oh God, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, you would speak into our lives today. Oh, and God, that you would give us insight into your word. Father, we pray that you would make us to understand with our minds and to love your word with our hearts. And as we see your word with our eyes, that we would apply it and you would apply it in our lives so that we live it out faithfully for you. And Lord, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As Mr. Al said earlier, the theme of the service today is Christ-centered living. And the title of the message is Living with a Purpose. But before we look any further... This morning, let us read the passage beginning with verse 1. Follow along as I read. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time past, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. 
With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. As we think about living with a purpose this morning, I want to challenge you to think about this with me. People want to have a purpose in life. Maybe, just perhaps, we've all at one point in time in our lives dreamed of making a grand mark on the world's stage. Maybe it was early as a child. Maybe it's in the the college years. Maybe it's somewhere in the teenage years. Maybe it's even later in life. But I want to challenge us with a question this morning. What if our purpose in life is much simpler? What if it's found in the normal, everyday consistency of of a seemingly mundane routine without all the hype of worldly fame. For most of us, if not all of us in here this morning, our daily routine is ordinary. At least in the world's economy, it's ordinary. We're not the richest, we're not the greatest, we're not the most intelligent, we're not the most charismatic, we're not the most popular. Really, we're just small fish in a big pond, as the saying goes. I know this probably isn't, the way that you expected the first message in 2015 to begin. Not very encouraging, right? I want to suggest to, to, to all of us this morning that in God's economy, greatness isn't measured by fame or stature or intelligence or any other sense of worldly measurement. In God's economy, greatness is found in purpose. And for those who are children of God, our purpose is found in connection with the body of Christ, the church. And so as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 24 or 25 and 26, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. Listen, this is Christ loving the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. So it goes without saying that since Christ died for the church, we as believers will find our greatest purpose in connection with The church with the body of Christ. That's why in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the author exhorts us. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Christians then are to live as part of a community of faith. 
We're to carry out God's mission in the world through the community of faith, through the church. And so what role does the church play in God's economy? What role does the church play in the world? How does God desire to use the church to impact the world in which he has placed us? And then translate that even further practically. That would mean, how does God use individual believers to impact the world, the communities, the cities, the states in which he has placed us? This morning, I hope to give us a big picture view of what God wants to do in and, and through the church. Here at Crosspoint, we focus on that in our mission statement. Crosspoint exists to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and what? The glory of God. And so we as a church body desire to be used by God to impact the nations by making disciples. And we exist for the, for the good of all people. Because there are Christians in this city, this city can be blessed. Because God desires to use the lives of his children to bless others. And so both locally and globally, we know that Jesus gave the disciples one mission. And that mission was to go to all people groups, all nations, and tell them of God's grace for salvation through Christ. His burial, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That means we evangelize the lost. It it also means that we establish churches for worship, to, to promote the worship of God in places where churches are not. In places where there needs to be a gospel presence. It also means specifically that we equip the converted by teaching them all that God has has taught us. We teach them to do the same, to go and to evangelize and to establish and to equip others. This is what it means to make disciples of all nations, to teach them what Christ has taught us, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as Matthew 28 says. So what role does the church play in the city? How can Crosspoint specifically have have an impact in 2015 in the city of Baton Rouge for the kingdom of God? I would say this in short, we we must we must engage in the mission that God has called us to. Well, what's that mean? Well, I'm not calling us to the next big thing necessarily. I'm calling us to be a people of prayer who faithfully engage in God's mission through our everyday lives. That means the jobs that we have, the classes we sit in, the homes we raise our children in. All of these places are environments in which God has placed us and desires to use us for his good and for his glory. He desires, Christian, to work through you to impact those around you that you work with. He desires to work through you, student, as you're in class to impact those whom are your fellow classmates with the gospel. He desires to use you as light into the darkness. And so this morning, I want to encourage us that every day as we wake, we ought to be asking God, God, how do you want to use us today? And looking, give us the lens through which we are to see your good hand at work in the midst of our lives. You see, here's what happens when we begin doing this. It moves us from this defensive posture and living of just, of just 
refraining from temptation and trying not to sin to an offensive posture in our life where we're living for the glory of God. We are desiring to impact the nations and people that we work with and people that we interact with. We want to be a testimony and the light of the gospel to them. You see the difference? One is concerned with not sinning, but the other is concerned with living for God's glory. And so when we focus on living for God's glory, then we're, we're able to live in the freedom that comes from Christ and we're able to focus on following Him. And I think that's what Peter is getting at in this text. And so I want to advocate this morning, every member of Crosspoint is a minister of the grace of God in the lives of others. Every member a minister Peter challenges the church to live with urgency as they they grow in Christ and as they serve one another. In fact, the tone of this passage this morning is a tone of urgency. Look in verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will will of God. You get the sense of urgency here. Look, the time past is sufficient. Don't live in that way anymore. Now that you are a transformed believer, now that you're converted, don't focus on living that way. Now, pursue the will of God in your life. Verse 7 also, the end of all things is at hand. That which we've alluded to already this morning in our time of worship. It's coming quickly. And so I want us to diligently seek to grow in our faith as we live out God's will through serving one another and serving for the sake of Christ's name being exalted in the midst of our community, in the midst of our nation. And so I want to give you two points this morning. The first one is this. We are to embrace, if we are to live lives of purpose, or if we are to live with a purpose, we must embrace the importance of personal devotion and growth in Christ. We must embrace the importance of personal devotion and growth in Christ. So I want to give you three actions that we are to embrace as believers. First, letter A, we must arm ourselves with the mindset of Christ. Look at what he says in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, it's the call to arms. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh right, has ceased from sin. The language of the text pictures a soldier who's preparing for battle. He's getting ready to go out into the battle. He's making sure that his armor's intact and that he's ready to encounter the enemy. And here's what Peter is telling the church. The mindset of Christ was one of suffering in the flesh. If we look back to chapter 3, verse 18, Christ, Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Christ's mindset was one of suffering in order to bring his people, God's people, to redemption. And the sense in which the Peter, that Peter is challenging the church is the same that he's challenging us in order that we would prepare our minds for action. As 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 say, Be sober-minded, be watchful. 
your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What Peter is saying is we need to take courage in knowing that Christ not only suffered for his people, but he also suffers with his people. He suffers with us. You know, there, specifically the, the way that a, a Christian suffers that the non-Christian or the unregenerate person doesn't suffer. I think there's this, there's this internal suffering that goes on in the life of the... It's like a civil war in the life of a believer. There's the war between the spirit and the flesh. Paul talks about it in Galatians 5.17 when he says, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And in one sense, Peter is talking to the church. Now, there's physical persecution happening to the church as Peter's writing to them. But in one sense, there's, a, there's an understanding as well of, of this denying the flesh and putting the flesh off, not pursuing the passions of the flesh so that we might walk in pursuit of the will of God in our lives. So the goal, the goal that he's saying here of, of arming oneself is to defeat the temptations to sin. It means that in the life of the one who has armed himself, these temptations to sin, they've lost their appeal and their power in the life of the believer. So how and with what are we to arm ourselves is the question. And I think what we are to arm ourselves with is the word of God. This is why at Crosspoint we, we want to focus on biblical literacy. We want to teach the word of God faithfully. And I want to challenge us in 2015 to become people of the Word. I want to challenge us to grow in reading and studying God's Word. I want to challenge us as a congregation to take advantage of of the multiple ways that Crosspoint seeks to foster growth among its members. From Sunday morning Bible study to Sunday night equipping classes to Wednesday night home groups, if you're able to to be a part of of these home groups, there are are even in-home Bible studies. I want to challenge us. Let's employ the the Titus 2 model where older men who are mature in their faith are teaching younger men, walking alongside them. Older women are, are teaching younger women. We're holding one another accountable. Let's hold each other accountable in Christian living. It's all one of the accountable in building relationships with those who aren't in church for the sake of telling them the gospel of God's grace. What if in 2015, you ask just this one really practical question? What, what character trait needs most attention in my life? What way do I need to grow most in godly character? Is it humility? Do I find that I'm a prideful person? Is it encouragement? Do I I find that I'm a critical person? Or or do I need to grow in faith? Am I a cynical person? Do I need to grow in generosity and mercy? Am, Am I greedy? And do I find myself being greedy? Do I need to grow in purity? Am I given to lust? What about patience and meekness? Do I find myself angry? Am I snapping at others? What about self-control or, or diligence? You go, I, I want to challenge you to pray and, and, and ask the Lord to reveal one of these areas of needed personal growth in our lives. 
This is how we begin to grow and to be shaped into the image of God. This is how God's word will mold us and shape us as we pray and ask God to reveal this. Let me encourage you that if you pray and ask God to reveal an area of character growth in your life, he will show you an area where you need to grow in your character. And then I would take it a step further and challenge us to search God's word to see what God's word reveals about himself through this character quality. And ask God to use that to shape you and to change you. You know, the funny thing or the interesting thing is as we grow closer to the likeness of Christ, we'll find that we're growing more and more distinct from the likeness of the world. So the first action that we must embrace is arm ourselves with the mindset of Christ. But secondly, I I want you to see we must diligently live according to or in the will of God. Verse 2, he says, So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, right? But for the will of God, there's this contrast, a distinction between the passions of the flesh and the will of God. Notice the passions of the flesh is plural, but the will of God is singular. You see, the passions of the flesh are many. There are many things that tempt us and and, and entice us and draw us away. But the will of God is singular. What is the will of God in your life, believer? Obedience to Christ. The will of God is that we would walk in obedience to Christ. And so here's what he's he's saying here. That we would, would, would forsake the passions of the flesh no longer living according to the human passions, but living for the will of God. I would ask us this morning, what drives our lives? What is it that drives you when you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the ground? What is it that makes you tick? What is it that gives you energy? Are we passionate about God and actively working to accomplish His will in our lives? I say active because active is an important word. We often we have to get caught up in a passive mindset as if we're trusting in God's sovereign plan to just somehow magically work itself out in our lives without any effort being put into it from our vantage point. But brothers and sisters, this is a, that's a sense of false hope. Some quote Philippians 2.13 saying, yeah, but, but God's at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And I would challenge us if we adopt that mindset not to forget about verse 12, which immediately precedes it and says... We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The challenge is we must be diligent. We must be diligent to live in the will of God, to search out God's working in us and through us, everywhere, in everything, in all that we do, as he says there in verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the third action we must embrace is we must live distinct from the world. We must diligently live in the will of God and we must live distinct from the world. Look in verses 3 through 5. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And then he gives, a, he gives us a brief catalog of a vice list of ungodly pursuits. 
living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. These are wicked, vile ways that the Gentiles are pursuing the passions of the flesh. You know, and all these can be categorized as as just simply pursuits of the world. The prime motivator in all of our activities should be to delight in the glory of God. And as children of God, we must learn to delight in all good things and take joy in delighting in all good things as gifts from God. See, our priorities must be set on doing what God desires us to do, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we would accomplish the works that he has set out beforehand and walk in them. You know, this may involve taking a step back and gaining perspective and learning how to value joy and enjoy glory that God has given, has, has, has shown us of himself in the midst of the world. It may involve taking a step back and gaining perspective to learn how, see how our lives and asking God to show us how our lives fit into the big picture of what God is doing in the midst of the world. Verse 4, he says, and they'll be surprised when you don't run with them. They'll be surprised when you don't follow the crowd, when you don't join with them in the same flood of debauchery, and they, they'll malign you. Why would they be surprised? I think because these things previously characterized their lives, those who were converted. These believers had to give up some, maybe some toxic relationships when they were converted to Christ. Maybe they had to distance themselves from some who, who weren't good for them and, and weren't building them up in their relationship with Christ. The same might be true for some of us this morning. But you know what also, it, it, it may not be a struggle for some who've been Christians for several years. In fact, some who've been Christians for several years, your challenge may be to develop some relationships with people who aren't believers in Christ. Because as you look around, only the people that you're friends with are, are Christians. And you're not pursuing relationships with those who aren't Christians so that you might see them come to faith in Christ. Listen to what else happens. They, they malign you. They'll be surprised when you don't run with them and do the same things that you used to do that they do. And then they'll malign you. That is, they'll, they'll blaspheme you. They'll abuse you verbally because you live differently than the world. You see, believer, God has called us to be distinct from the world, to live distinctly. From the world. We aren't to look like the world. In everything we do. In fact we're to be shaped by Christ. We're to be living according to the will of God. Chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. Are, are encouraging to us in this. But in your, in your hearts. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone. Who asks you for a reason. For the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I think as Christians we must be wise enough to to learn and to exegete, to observe our culture. And know how to be in the world and yet remain distinct from the world. As Christians, we must discern how to love the world both up close and at a distance. Martin Luther said, if we consider the greatness and the glory of the life we shall have when we have risen from the dead, 
it would not be difficult at all for us to bear the concerns of this world. If I believe the word, I shall on the last day after the sentence has been pronounced, not only gladly have suffered ordinary temptations, insults, imprisonment, but I shall also say, oh, that I did not throw myself under the feet of the godless for the sake of the great glory, which I now see revealed and which has come to me through the merit of Christ. Listen, church, we need to embrace the importance of personal devotion and growth in Christ. And we do that through the actions of arming ourselves with the mindset of Christ, through, through diligently living according to the will of God, and through living distinctly from the world. This is what Peter's exhorting the church to do. And then secondly, this morning, I, I would encourage us, not only are, do we, are we to embrace the importance of personal devotion and growth in Christ, we're to employ the gracious gifts of God in serving others. In verse 7, we see what I think is, is a linchpin verse of this passage. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The point that he's making when he says to be sober-minded and, and self-controlled is he's calling, he's calling believers to, to be clear-headed in their walk with Christ so that their prayers will not be hindered and clouded by being lacking self-control or being drunk in a sense. That's the picture he wants us to see. The picture is of the the gluttonous man or or the man or woman who who lacks self-control. It's of the one who is the drunkard and their mind is clouded. And he's calling us to be fervent in our prayer life. In verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers, he says. In other words, we're not to be mastered by our appetites. We're not to be mastered by anything. We are to be sober-minded with our minds set on Christ, ready for his return. We're to be active agents with God and on mission with God, praying in the Spirit on all occasions. That's what Peter is calling the church to. He's calling us to prayer. In so doing, that being self-controlled and sober-minded, we would be a people who are not clouded in our approach to God in prayer, but we are looking and wanting that which is His will and His grace to be done in our lives. And so I would say this morning, church, if our goal is to make disciples of all nations, I think we'll do it by being a people of the Word and and being a people of prayer. It's through prayer that we tear down strongholds and we fight the enemy. It's through prayer that we align ourselves with God's will for our lives. It's through prayer that we come into the very throne room of God and enter into His presence. And it's through prayer that the Father hears the cries of His children and delights in blessing us for His good name's sake. It's through prayer. And it's for this reason that Peter is telling the church in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of all that is going in life, do this. Be clear-minded. Be sober-minded. 
Be self-controlled. Why? Because if you're not, these things affect your prayer. And if your prayer is affected, then you're not able to draw near to God and depend upon God and see His will and His work in and through you. So I would say as a church, as a people of God, we must be fervent in our prayers. As we consider... uh, the next step in, in Crosspoint's ministry. It's a, a, a big step as we considered a, a, a building program and whether or not we're going to move forward with this. We look forward to January 18th where we discuss it and, and we'll be able to vote on this. But I, I want to I challenge us as a congregation to be in prayer about what that looks like, about how God might use Crosspoint in the midst of the city, even through a physical campus, to reach this city for His glory. Because listen, if it's not for His glory, then there's no point in doing it. And so we as a church, we must be fervent in our prayers. We must be united in in one mind. And listen what else he says in verses 8 and 9 earnestly love and show hospitality to one another. This is interaction within within the body. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You see, love and hospitality really go hand in hand. It speaks of fellowship within the body of Christ. And fellowship in the body of Christ is of primary importance. Love and hospitality are characteristics that shape the community of faith and notice this love for one another when he says in verse 8 above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins it's not talking about covering the sins of the one doing the loving it's talking about the one who's loving it covers a multitude of sins of the one who is being loved it's having a forbearing spirit it's not being offended easily but 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 being kind hospitable, coming to a brother or sister and, and, and being kind to them and opening our homes to one another, sharing life together. This is what he's calling the church to do. Why? Because it's necessary for the church to have this fellowship and to grow together. Why? Because we need accountability. We need encouragement from one another. And so as a church, the way that we grow in Christ It's being plugged in and connected to one another. It's doing life on life. Not only are we to show hospitality to one another, I think we're to show hospitality to to those who are outside the community of faith. What about to our neighbors? Opening our door, opening our homes, making food, sitting around the table, talking about life, sharing our life with others. Others, this is part of evangelism. As as members of Crosspoint, every member of minister, here's how we evangelize our communities. Let's open our homes. Let's be hospitable. Let's love one another. Let's be united together in one mind for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of Christ being exalted. Thirdly, we're I want you to see this in verse 10. We're gifted. For others, not ourselves. This is so important. This is part of God's grace and stewardship toward us. If we're to employ the gracious gifts of God in serving others, verse 10, we must see that we are gifted for others and not for ourselves. As each has received a gift, use it to serve yourself, right? No. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
this word, God's varied grace, it speaks of God's multicolored grace. In other words, there are many forms, many shades of God's grace that he has given to the church. And here's what we're to do. Each has received a gift. Number one, that means each of us has received a gift from God that's to be graciously employed within the body. Each one of us, if you're a believer in Christ and you're a member at Crosspoint, here's what God is calling you to do, to be engaged, to use your gift in serving the body. I don't know what your gift is. The person next to you may not know what your gift is. The person on the other side of the room may not, but someone in here may. But you know the gift that God has given you. And I want you to hear the challenge of Scripture this morning. It's to take the gift that God has given you and to employ it in serving in the body. Good stewards means we're good managers of the grace that God has given us. And there's a responsibility that God intends for us to, you, to have, and that's to serve one another with the gifts that He has given us. And so God has graciously given many gifts to cross point. We're not the largest congregation in the city by any means. We're not the most gifted congregation in the city by any means. But we are gifted in the exact way in which God wants us to work and be faithful and employ these gifts, serving one another and reaching the city. Let me tell you, church, God wants to use Crosspoint. Believe it. God wants to use each of us. He wants to use us to to disciple others. He wants to use us to to impact one another's lives. He wants to use us to wrap an arm around a brother and sister who's, who's struggling and help them and walk them through difficult days. He wants to use us to impact the lost in our community with the gospel. Listen, church, God wants to use us. The question is not whether or not God wants to use us. The question is, are we, are we yielded and willing to be used by God? In 1878, William Booth's Salvation Army was beginning to make its mark. Men and women from all over the world began to enlist. One man who had once dreamed of becoming a bishop crossed the Atlantic from America to England to enlist. His name was Samuel Bringle. Samuel... Bringle left a fine pastorate to join Booth's army. And at first, General Booth accepted his services reluctantly and grudgingly. Booth said to him, Bringle, you've been your own boss for too long. And in order to instill humility in Bringle, he set him to work cleaning boots of other trainees. Discouraged, Bringle said to himself, Have I followed my own fancy across the Atlantic in order to black boots, in order to polish or to shine or to clean boots? And then in a vision, he saw Jesus bending over the feet of rough fishermen. And so he whispered, Lord, you wash the feet of the disciples. I'll black their shoes. The call for the servants of Christ within the body of Christ are to use their gifts to serve one another, to serve others selflessly without the need for recognition without the need for pats on the back. Though those are nice and we we love those, they're encouraging to us. Let us not do any of it for the applause of men, but let us serve for the glory of God. Look at what he says in verse 11. So that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That is, through the salvation and the transformation that he has caused to happen in our lives through his word. 
It's amazing to me that 80% of the work in most churches is done by 20% of the people when God has gifted 100% of those who are regenerate believers with gifts to serve in the body. And so I want to challenge us this morning to consider God has commissioned us as a congregation to be in this place in the city. God is working in our midst and wants to use us to impact this city, to impact the nations. And so here's the thing, mature believer, you're commissioned. You're commissioned to assemble a group of believers and and work to disciple them. You're commissioned to use your gifts to employ in the body. Believer, you're commissioned to dream of how we're to reach Baton Rouge with the gospel. And and you're commissioned to lead out in ministry if God so gives you the vision. You're commissioned to take the gifts that God has given you and to employ them in the midst of the body for the edification of the body and for the advancing of God's kingdom. This is what God desires to do in and through our lives. Believer, you're commissioned to join in the midst of ministries that are already established here. From Mother's Day out to to ESL, the nations are coming to us. If you desire to work with children, there's great need to work in teaching and shepherding our children through Sunday school and through music and missions or on Sunday nights. You can work in the clothes closet. You can serve through, through the food pantry alongside of Tina. You can, you can serve in the miscarriage ministry. You can serve in, in parenting conference. You can serve in delivering cookies to businesses. You can serve through the hospitality team. You can serve in so many ways. God has gifted our church, our congregation. And I'm not talking about serving in busyness. I'm talking about Serving in a way that brings honor and glory to God. For look at the first part of verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Those who are teaching. Recognize that you are teaching the oracles of God. Prepare, study well. And then teach God's word. Speak as though God is speaking through you. Because as a teacher, we're held accountable, number one. And God is speaking through us. Those who speak is speaking the oracles of God. And look, those who serve as serving in the strength that God supplies. This is not something, believer, that you must do in and of yourself. It is a work that God does and wants to do, desires to do, in and through each of us. And so we are to serve as God leads us and strengthens us and supplies. So we must let our speech be from God and our service be in the strength of God. This morning, how will you respond? How will you respond to the Lord today? Are you living with a purpose to walk in the will of God? to enjoy His goodness, to enjoy His presence, to be used of Him in in the workplace, in the home, in the midst of the body? Are you living with a purpose? Perhaps for you it's time to become a member of of Crosspoint, to join with us in making disciples of all nations. If that's you, I invite you to come and to speak with me, to speak with one of our elders about what it means to unite with Crosspoint and to engage in the vision and the mission that God has given us. Believer, perhaps for you it's getting off the bench and getting in the game. Using the gifts that God has given you to serve the body of Christ and to further His kingdom. How has God gifted you? Have you even investigated that? How does He want to use you to serve the body? 
Maybe perhaps this morning for those who don't know Christ and don't have a relationship with Christ, perhaps it begins with you confessing Christ as Lord. Before any of these other things can happen, confessing Christ as Lord is needed. So I want to challenge you this morning to respond as the Lord leads. I'm going to close in prayer. And I want to encourage you to spend some time in prayer. And as the song is sung this morning, to worship the Lord through singing. uh, And and to just repent if there's an area of your life where God has revealed to you that you need to grow. And you need to be repentant. But make that commitment to the Lord as he's leading you this morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness toward us. We thank you, Lord, for loving us and showering your grace and your mercy upon us. We thank you, Father, for the way that you desire to work in and through us. And so I pray, God, that you would you would strengthen us to depend upon you. God, that you would continue the work of, of refining us, helping us to have the mindset of Christ. Helping us, Lord, to be diligent in living for your will. And so, God, we pray that you would shape us and mold us and teach us. And, Lord, we submit ourselves to you for your glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?